Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. This Globig Podcast is brought to you by Clevermail. Clevermail's worldwide legal business addresses and virtual office solutions help you rapidly internationalize your business. Learn more at clevermail.com. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. So today we're going to be talking about global trade and the World Trade Center. Our guest is Karen Gerwitz, the president of the World Trade Center here in Denver, Colorado. And Karen has extensive international business experience, including being the chief of protocol for the Colorado International Trade Office, where she plans some really exciting things like the official visits of the emperor and empress of Japan, the G8 Summit, the Western Hemisphere Ministerial Summit, and just hundreds of other delegations. She's also held a variety of other high-level global positions around the world. So I'm really, really excited to welcome you, Karen, and thank you so very much for joining us today. Thanks, Anka. I really appreciate you having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself as well as what exactly is a World Trade Center? Okay. Well, I um, have worked in international trade or some sort of international business, uh, either operations or marketing efforts uh, for about 25 years. And I've really gotten uh, the opportunity to work for the private sector, for government, nonprofits, um, and even a couple of overseas assignments. Um, My first job out of college was running a sawmill in Ghana, West Africa. Um, That was through a really great international student program called ISEC, um, which uh, allowed me to work for almost two years in in Ghana. Um, And I got to really, it was like the two best years of my life. And it's really what sparked my interest in international business um, as a career. So uh, I've also had a chance to work in Vienna, Austria, which was not too shabby. It um, It was great to be able to help a science institute there um, really sell their, sell all their scientific research to media in about 16 countries. So um, my day is not complete unless I work cross-border um, with, with someone and have some sort of cross-cultural experience. And I'm lucky that I'm married to a Lebanese because that gives me that experience every day. <laughs> right, the cross-cultural experience, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. And the World Trade Center is a, um, a really unique uh, trade association. It's the largest trade association in the world. We have uh, 330 locations in 100 countries. Uh, our headquarters is in New York. Uh, we're not a franchise, so we're not all the same, but we do connect on a regular basis and our network is very strong. We work probably with a million companies around the world and helping them do international business or locate in World Trade Centers around the globe. And those of those of you who've been in Denver, you probably knew that the downtown towers at 16th and Broadway were called the World Trade Center. Well, as of two years ago, um, they're called the Denver Energy Center because we moved out of them and we're building a new campus um, that's set to start construction at the end of this year and will open in 2019. So um, not, only, not only are we a great place to gather and convene, We are an association uh, similar to a chamber where we uh, support uh, corporate members that are doing global business or entrepreneurs that are wanting to do global business. 
Um, we teach a lot of uh, students and individuals that are looking to understand the mechanics of trade. And we partner with groups like Globig on, on getting the message out to our international business community. And, um, and we act very much like a, um, a hub of, of the international business community here in Denver. Uh, this year, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. So I've uh, been working at this for some time. Um, and back when I was protocol officer for the state, that was in the 90s, 92 to 97, we were co-located with the World Trade Center back then. So I, I feel like I've been with the organization for, for over 25 years. Very interesting. Now, is the World Trade Center um, a, a government organization? Is it a private organization? I think a lot of people aren't quite sure. Well, and that's because we are um, different models around the world. But here in Denver, we are a private nonprofit association um, where we uh, actually do have member dues and we uh, charge uh, some fees for our services or classes. Um, we also process export documentation, so we get fees for that. Other World Trade Centers around the globe may be developer-owned, and so it could be much more of a real estate operation where uh, tenants um, where tenants are brought together in one campus, like ours will be in uh, 2019. Uh, we won't be collecting the rents of those, um, of those tenants though. We have a developer uh, who is taking on most of the financial um, obligations of the, of the campus. What we will do as an association is really activate and bring the campus together, um, make sure that tenants uh, learn from each other and create kind of a peer-to-peer -peer learning community um, where we put on active events every day in the campus and those collisions in the hallway really, really mean something. Um, we hope that we'll hear uh, lots of connections being made. So the Denver World Trade Center especially is really known for being innovative and doing a lot of great things and it's you know, I see a lot of recognition around the programs that you're doing. So how can our listeners participate? What are some of the resources that they can get access to? How do companies usually use the World Trade Center? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I We have um, probably 60 courses that we offer per year. So if you are interested in any aspect of international trade from from the cross-cultural side to the documentation and compliance to um, how to import or find a new source for, for production. Um, we, can, we can certainly help with those areas. Uh, our biggest event of the year is coming up on May 16th. It's called World Trade Day. It's our 44th annual event. And so many people from our community attend that event. It's a full day conference, regional conference that focuses on global trade and, um, and we welcome all uh, of the public to join us on that. Uh, our theme this year is containers to the cloud, uh, tr uh, trade as goods, services, and knowledge. So we won't only be talking about the trade of goods, um, but we also wanna explore what does it mean to uh, export data? Um, how can we uh, share knowledge across borders to create more things that are innovative? Um, how do we um, take the services that we're so good at at Colorado and uh, move them globally? And so we will be looking at all types of trade, uh, which is inclusive of all those things. So we have listeners all around the world and, and some of your really 
premier classes are also online, right? So it's not just, you don't have to only be local. It certainly helps, but then most likely they'll have a trade center even nearby. But you do also have some of these resources online for companies to use as well, correct? We do. Uh, We have an online institute um, where there's, you know, a dozen or so classes up there now, but we are trying to grow that and would love to work with Globig or other um, partners to, to help us do that. Um, Western Union, for instance, is, is going to be um, putting our webinars online um, uh, for, their, for their tools as well. So we're looking for ways to get the word out um, on those classes because it, you know, they, we, we have perfected uh, a training uh, here where we've been doing it for 30 years and helping companies um, learn the fundamentals of trade. And uh, we've actually gotten a reputation amongst the World Trade Centers in having the, the strongest educational program throughout our network. Um, even the president uh, uh, recognized us um, as an exporter award. They call it an e-award um, from the president's office to thank us for our uh, export trainings. So, um, yeah. So, when companies do decide to go global, or even if they're just exploring, what kind of information do you think that they need? I mean, because you already have this really strong educational program, tell us what it is that you recommend they learn and you know, kind of what are the key things they need to check off before they really jump in? Sure. You'd be surprised, um, but 80% roughly or so um, of the companies that we work with um, really are chasing the sale. Um, maybe they get a hit on the website or maybe they get um, one order from a market. And then they decide, well, if I got one order, there must be more there. So I'm just gonna start exporting to that market. And it might be natural to do that domestically um, to start sales in a new state. But certainly if you're gonna take the effort and, and invest into an export market, um, you really want to have a great strategy uh, and make sure that that market matches your your value proposition. So let's say you're you're making um, you know a particular jacket, a ski jacket, let's say, and um, you're going to find uh, maybe you have a hit on your website from Russia. Um, uh, before you go deep into that market, you want to ask yourself: Is that the right market for my product for my story? Um, are this, is this the type of market I want to be in for the long haul? Because international business is definitely a long-term strategy. Um, and are they going to appreciate the quality of my product at the price I want to charge um, in this market? So really coming up with a strong strategy. We actually have a class that's called Developing Your Export Strategy, and it's an eight-hour class. It's one of our most popular um, but there are so many things that go into just the strategy of export. Uh, you wouldn't just start a new product marketing um, effort by you know, following a sale or chasing, chasing one lead. You really need to um, look at the market entry strategies. You wanna look at the price to move the goods there. Um, you wanna make sure that you'll have year-round, year-round sales and growth, that you're hitting the growth cycle at the right stage. Um, that you have a really quality partner there to help you distribute your product and market it for you. Um, you want to think about the tail end when a customer needs um, a warranty or some sort of service after the 
fact, you want to make sure that you've got the right um, the right uh, staff on board um, in that market in their time zone uh, to handle those things. So, a lot goes into this. It's not uh, it's not an easy solution, um, but we can help you along the way in in solving and finding the right market for you. I think that's really important advice. There really is so much to do, and there are such great resources to help. So opportunistic might not be the only way to think about this, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. More strategic, right? Sometimes it's hard to not follow the dream, but um, you really need to choose the market that's right for you and come up with a really sound strategy on entering the market. And you'll you'll be surprised how much easier that is in the end. Absolutely. What areas do you see companies struggling the most when they go global? It's probably staying on top of the regulations. They change um, regularly and you need to know not only your U.S. regulations for export, but your, the country that you're uh, importing to. So, um, so and, and they vary by industry and then they vary by country. Um, so if you're, if you're selling to multiple markets, staying on top of those could be a full-time job. Um, and so that's, I think, the, the most difficult part in, um, in, in international business. I think free trade agreements help a lot with that um, in trying to flatten out the regulations or make the regulations um, symbiotic between both parties. But what the free trade agreements also do is create new paperwork um, and new formulas that you need to learn. So it's just not, um, it's not a cut and dry approach. You have to uh, learn a lot of things while you do it. I think that's why a group like us has existed for so long um, is that we try to make it easier for you and show you the way. So you mentioned trade deals. Let's talk a little bit about some of the impact that the new regime is going to have on potentially anyway, on the trade deals. So what are you hearing? What do you think companies should be prepared for? How can they, um, you know, just kind of de-risk themselves, if you will? And, um, you know, so, because obviously you guys are listening as as we are, but it's it always really interesting to get a different perspective on that. Sure. Well, the only trend I'm, I'm hearing thus far is that um, the Trump administration wants to reopen uh, some of the regional trade deals like NAFTA um, and not enter ones like the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and they would rather have bilateral trade deals. Um, and I think, you know, given his background as a, a corporate uh, leader, I can see why, why that's the case. Um, my argument would be that, um, you know, we shouldn't be focusing so much on the trade deficit uh, surplus issue because just because a country can produce things cheaper than we can and we happen to buy more than we sell to them does not necessarily mean it's a bad trading agreement. Um, we wanna make sure that we're looking at trade in a much more complex lens. It's not just a bilateral win-lose zero-sum game. Um, we're very we're very interconnected, and just because we may import more than we export to China doesn't mean that it's still not to be selling us more than we're selling them right now. Doesn't mean that that's not beneficial for us in the future. I mean, having their economy grow uh, and having their consumers have more purchasing power helps us in the end. So again, if you take a long term approach on some of these agreements, 
Um, I think the regional agreements actually uh, help us do that. They help us um, leverage agreements in a way where we can offer open access to the world's largest market. And, um, and then we can, in exchange, use the free trade agreement as leverage to help raise um, environmental standards in that market or, um, or labor standards or at least to get the um, electrical and power standards uh, similar to ours. So um, finding ways to use agreements to our benefit, as opposed to um, just looking at the win-loss ratio, is um, it's a much more strategic move, and I would advocate for that. Mm -hmm. so, so there may be some renegotiation, as you had mentioned, of local trade deals. How about visas? And, and, and we heard a little bit recently about immigration, but I was thinking more along the lines of entrepreneurial and any sort of trade visas and those impacting different companies as well. Sure. There's, there's a lot of visas impacting companies right now. There's a lot of fear around what's happening with our immigration. Um, that's a whole nother podcast, I'm afraid, but, um, mm -hmm. but certainly um, uh, that is something that companies should be aware of is that that, that is an ever-changing market right now or a problem uh, challenge. So um, uh, you'll want to get um, clear a clear read on what the administration is doing there um, because things are changing so rapidly. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a real detriment to what's happening. I mean, around, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, um, uh, real detriments to some of these um, some of these decisions. For instance, universities losing about a third of their international um, students, uh, especially coming from the Middle East, but from other places as well. Um, that's real revenue to them um, and real revenue to our state. Uh, it's one of our strongest exports here is, is education. Um, I'm hearing. Mexican distributors turn down U.S. products because they're not sure what's going to happen with the trade relations there. So this uncertainty is um, what the businesses are working with right now. And unfortunately, I'm seeing some backlash of that. So I think we'll all be happy when we actually know what the plan is. Um, but until that time, we mm -hmm. should all be prepared and in, in knowing exactly what we want out of a renegotiated NAFTA or renegotiated um, other agreements with Japan or, or other or others. So really understand, start to understand what's in them and what we could advocate for uh, if, it, if it were changed. You know, NAFTA is about 30, area, 30 years old. Oh, sorry. Right, right. No, no, absolutely. Um, another area that I'm getting quite a bit of interest in and just trying to make sure that they're prepared for is really some of the currency fluctuations because of the uncertainty and, you know, especially with manufacturing and making sure that all the deals that companies are making are, um, they have some sort of contingency or they're put in the currency that's maybe the most or the lowest risk, if you will. Um, are there other, do you have any sort of recommendations for companies of things that they should just be prepared for really in kind of the, the near future? Yeah, I think when currencies are, are fluctuating so much, um, there's a way to hedge your currency um, risk. You can talk to your um, your banks, or even Western Union has a um, has a tool uh, called the Edge that that allows you to do this. Um, 
online. But what you do is you basically negotiate a set rate with your buyer or seller and, um, and you, you hold it to that rate. It's almost like locking in a mortgage rate when you're buying a house. Um, you, you agree upon a rate and, and what that does is it allows you to sleep at night. Even if you win or lose mm-hmm. um, on that rate going forward, at least you know what you're going to get. And that's something you can plan on for budgeting purposes or cash flow purposes. So um, there are tools and mechanisms to, to do that. Um, and there are people that make a lot of money trading foreign exchange um, all the time. So you also may want to go into that business if you're looking for a job. <laughs> as long as you know what exactly. you're doing, right? Exactly. It's going to go up and down. That's right. That's right. Same with really the stock cool. market. Yeah. That's right. It's definitely something I've never been able to do well enough or fast enough. To no, me neither. On top of. I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand looking at a screen all day. No. So when when companies are looking to go global, what are some of the more challenging countries from a international trade perspective? Where do you see your customers um, spending the most time? Are there certain company countries that are really easy and then others that are just really much more challenging? Sure. I think, I think companies just get, um, again, blinded by the opportunity. Uh, they want to go to China because of the size of the market, yet it's not the easiest market to, um, to penetrate or to start in. Um, plus, a lot of the Chinese uh, negotiations are very different than, than U.S., um, same goes with Russia. Um, you know, size of the market is good, but I, um, when when you sign a contract, that's when negotiations start, and so you got to know the cultural differences of these markets before you enter them. Brazil is another tough market because they have high tariffs, um, uh, like fifty to one hundred percent sometimes. So it's sometimes three hundred percent. So it's really difficult to get your products in. But what you can do is. Uh, enter into a joint venture there and uh, possibly produce some things locally or um, or or work work through a local partner um, in, in in various ways and we have some specialists that that work in that um, some of the easier markets to penetrate certainly are the more mature developed countries uh, Canada is a great market it's actually we export twice as much to Canada as we do anywhere else um, so I would Definitely not forget our closest neighbor. Um, Mexico is a, a good market to export into. Um, Europe, uh, still lots of lots of great opportunity there. Japan uh, is one of our top markets. So Korea is becoming much stronger. Um, so those are the free trade agreements uh, have removed most of the tariff barriers. And so those those are those are great markets to start with. I think that's really good advice. So if someone wants to learn more and, you know, whether it's about the campus that you're building or the different resources and how to work with you, what's the best way for them to explore or um, contact or reach out? Sure. We've got a lot of information on our website and it's constantly changing and we have weekly events on there as well. So I'll start there. Uh, It's WTCDenver.org. Uh, so like worldtradecenterdenver.org, uh, or feel free to give us a call. Um, our phone number is 303-592-5760. We convene regularly. Um, for the time being, we're located in a manufacturing plant named Geotech. Our chairman owns this plant. 
And that's because we needed a place to land once we moved out of downtown and um, until we can build our new campus. We're just a mile from where our campus will be. We're in central Denver and we convene here regularly. So free parking, um, lots of events, lots of activity to plug into. We have a free newsletter that you can sign up for on our, uh, on our website as well. And I think partnering with companies like Lobig too are a great way for us to reach a broader audience. So we're grateful for your partnership and um, look forward to doing more with you. We definitely love attending your events. And I think, you know, for our listeners, it's really a really a great opportunity to learn more. And so don't hesitate to do that. So now we're going to have some fun questions. Um, what do you like to read that keeps you in the know or keeps you informed? Do you have some favorite bloggers or other sites that maybe our listeners just don't know about? You know, I wish I, I had favorite bloggers, but um, I, I religiously read the um, Wall Street Journal every day and the Denver Post because I love my city and I also love to read about global, global news. And I don't necessarily think that, that our local papers cover it enough, but hopefully they will, will do so um, as we grow. Um, I also, um, we subscribe to several, uh, database tools here. One is called A to Z World Trade. One is called Pangeva. These are good sources that, um, feed us news, news feeds about trade. So we watch those regularly. Um, most of my great information though comes from the companies that we, we meet with. And so our network is very strong and I love of um, hearing about their successes and challenges. And um, and sometimes we can even get into companies and help them improve their international business practices and processes. And when we do that, we really see firsthand what their challenges are. Um, and so that's how I learn most of my information is through our network. Great advice. So I'll make sure everyone gets onto your newsletter and takes a look at your site and attends one of your wonderful events. We're going to make sure that we put all of these resources onto the podcast. Um, so you don't have to worry about writing it down right now. We'll make sure that you have access to everything um, going forward. Karen, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today. And I want to thank our listeners um, of this podcast. Make sure that you tune in next time. Visit our website, globig.co, for your online international expansion headquarters, just where you can find an abundance of free resources, training, and connections to vetted experts around the world. Karen, thank you again. And we hope to have you on another podcast here in the future. I'd love to. Thanks again. <laughs>